Just the two of us, a great song from the 70s, building castles way up high. Well, today's Tuesday, April 12th, and it is just the two of us, Dan Nathan and yours truly, G. Swizz. Today's Market Call is brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk, I love this, by the way, I wish I had thought of it, where risk meets opportunity and open exchange because, in fact, they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. It is just the two of us on this Tuesday Two for Tuesday for you, 104.3 fans on the New York City area. Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Let's get the lead out here, guy. I mean, listen, you know, one thing I have to go back to, you remember a couple of weeks ago we were in Chicago and we did the market call. That's MKT call for you fans out there from the CME Group's headquarters. And there was one thing that I took away from there. We saw some of our old friends at the CME, but you were like amazed at how well their lobby smelled, the cleanliness oh of that. Gracious. I know you were, you were absolutely floored by that you were like you were like an old man walking around like saying it three hours later you're like you know it just smells so good in here right i mean what was that all about guys i don't know i brought it up a number of times i've been in many lobbies and foyers in my life yeah you have that one i mean the size of that and the fact that it was able to smell as clean and crisp it was like those towels you put in a dryer to make the the, the yes the bounce smell the bounce the bounce. Well, listen. Yeah, speaking of that. bounce, speaking of bounces, the market, the market, the stock market is bouncing a little bit today. I guess that that CPI reading, that big March number, the print that we've been previewing, guy, for it feels like weeks since the since the February number came out, it wasn't as bad as people expected. And you just hear this kind of chorus now of people saying, "Ah, well, we may be peaked." And listen, you and I have been talking about this for a while right? When you see things, and Gavin Baker said this to us on our podcast a few weeks ago on On the Tape, when you see things that you've never seen before in the market, you got to pay attention a little bit. But oftentimes, you'll see a mean reversion after that thing you haven't seen in a very long time catches your attention. Talk to me about some of these calls for peak inflation. Are you generally seeing it from stock market bulls because it's kind of confirming the fact that the worst will be over and maybe the stock market has discounted that already? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you bring up a great point. And obviously, I think if there are, if you are a star, stock market bull, you hope that this is, in fact, peak inflation. And although it's not going to come cratering down, maybe that 8.5% reading will be the high we'll see for the foreseeable future. But I wouldn't necessarily call Jeff Gunlock a stock market bull. I think he's pretty agnostic. I think he pretty much plays it right down the middle. And he, in, he is, in fact, saying inflation is peaking. That might be true. But peaking is one thing and going precipitously lower is another. I mean, inflation can say pretty elevated for quite a long period of time. And I don't think that today, at least, the market's not taking that into consideration. Now, Lael Brainerd, who has been historically one of the more dovish Fed governor's officials, she came out and said she was happy, I guess. She was somewhat relieved that core inflation was a little bit less than expected. So obviously now you have these sort of chorus of people sort of talking it down, saying this is as bad as it gets. And we'll see. I'm not certain that's the case, by the way. And it might not be next quarter, but I'm in the camp that energy is going higher. We're going to look at a crude chart in a little while. So although next month might be less than eight and a half percent, I think as we get into the summer, we're going to start seeing elevated readings again, Dan. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, last night on Fast Money, you know, we had this conversation. We were kind of previewing this. We were talking about just all the knee-jerk reactions we're seeing in a bunch of different risk assets. And, you know, I I guess my view is that, you know, oftentimes people will tune into a market call or a show like Fast Money, and they're looking for answers, right? And the truth is, on oftentimes, and I love when Carter Braxton Worth says this about a chart sometimes, he'll just say, it looks like a pair of twos. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there is no answer. Sometimes there's just nothing that is really going to help you kind of parse out where things are going. And I feel like we're in a period right now where the exact conversation we're having about inflation and where, you know, the stock market is priced based on riser rates and amazing, maybe like a slower economy is a conversation we're going to be having for the better part of this year. I think that we're likely to kind of continue to have the sort of volatility that makes it really hard to call bottoms and call tops, you know, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a market call, I think we talked about, okay, what could go right? What could be the scenario, right? Where, the stock market, which just a couple days ago, trading days ago, was down less than 5% from its all-time highs in the S&P 500, what could be the thing that causes it to go much higher? And in my mind, you could have some natural readings come in. You could have a geopolitical situation that calms a great deal, right? You could have maybe not as slow as growth as some bears are expecting, and you could find yourself with the stock market grinding higher again because it's led by a handful of names. Yep, that's exactly right. And you get earnings that, you know, come in better than expected. So all yeah. your points are well taken. I mean, there are a lot of things that can go right for the stock market. Quite frankly, outside of a couple periods of time over the last 13 years, pretty much everything is going right for the stock <laughs> yeah. market. But the, I think the, the script has been flipped a little bit and it comes in the form of the Federal Reserve. And I think it's important to talk about expectations. We obviously have the CME Fed tracker, but we'll take a look at it. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion now that 50 basis points seems to be in the cards. For the next meeting, I actually heard, I was just watching Scott's halftime report a little bit ago, Jeremy Siegel was on, the professor from Wharton, and he had actually posited not potential for 75 basis point hike, but the fact that actually people were talking about that, which I don't think there's any chance that happens. But what's interesting is it was 25 basis points for a long time. Then the chorus of 50 basis points, people came out pre-Russia, Ukraine. That happened. Everybody ratcheted it back. And now that that seems to be sort of I don't even know the term, maybe discounted in the market, all these 50 basis points, people are back. And I think that's going to happen, not only next meeting, but the foreseeable future. Well, listen, if the Fed were to surprise, right? So we have an 85% probability from the Fed watch tool here by CME saying that 50 basis points, let's just say they were going to surprise and they were going to come in at 75 basis points, okay? Now, the Fed generally should not be surprising, you know, investors when you think about all these tools that they have now from the standpoint of communication, right? And that's been a huge part of this Fed over like the last 10 years or so. If they were surprised after a CPI that wasn't as bad as people thought, then you would be like, okay, what do they see going forward? To your point about inflationary pressures in the next few months where they want to hit it so hard ahead of time. I mean, listen, I'm kind of like a mean reversion sort of person, guy. I feel like in the not so distant future, if the Fed continues to do what they're doing, let's say they articulate what they're going to do and they don't surprise, okay, and they have a couple 50 basis point hikes, then they might have done what they needed to do to tamp down inflation, especially as we see things coming off. And your point is, even if they stay in mid 
single digits, that's still really high because prior to the pandemic, they were really emphatic about getting inflation above 2%. Now, talk to me for a second, though, about core. And you say this all the time. You know, these readings read a specific sort of things. But for a lot of Americans, okay, they have wages that have not gone up much, but costs are going higher all over the place, healthcare, education, that sort of thing. So are we even looking at the right thing here? Of course not. I mean, of course we're not. I mean, but the pro- no, we're not is a short answer. But it's what the market looks at and subsequent. Well, it's what the Fed looks at, what they yeah. talk about, and then subsequently what the market takes its cues from. But are we looking at the right thing? No, because quite frankly, with an eight and a half percent read today, real inflation in this country, and just don't ask me. A lot of people a lot smarter than I am. They're saying this is probably closer to fifteen one five percent. So are we looking at the right things? No, we're not. Number two. The, uh, the other side of inflation is wage growth. So you would hope that wage growth is at least catching up or staying uh, along on par with inflation. It's not even close. Yeah. Real wage growth in this country is now minus 3.6%. What does that mean? Well, it means people are going to have to raise prices again. They have to raise wages just to catch up. And that's what's happening. Wage inflation in this country, that's the last piece of the puzzle. And that's continuing being lagging. So that's not incorporated into these numbers either. So it's not a particularly rosy picture, but to your point, if the Fed can do a great job of just jawboning inflation down yeah. and not having to raise rates, maybe that is sort of best case scenario. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, I mean, listen, I, I think I'm not saying I disagree that you're wrong. I, my, my thought would be that, you know, and you and I have t- talked about this a great deal, is that because the Fed's balance sheet is so much larger than it was in the last time that they were raising interest rates, they really can't have interest rates go as high as some people are expecting or Fed funds futures are pricing right now. So if they hit it hard right now when the market's bracing for the hikes, then that might be the best case scenario. And then it gives them the opportunity if there is a recession, because some of this geopolitical stuff sticks around, but let's say the inflationary forces aren't as you know violent as they've been of late, then it gives them the opportunity to get a bit more dovish. But Guy Adami, why did the stock market bounce this morning on that news? Because it wasn't as bad as feared. The S&P was up a little more than 1%. So was the NASDAQ. It had a bad few days. If you just look at, this is a 10-day chart from the very last couple of days of March, and you see a series of lower highs and a series of lower lows. So that makes a bit of a trend channel, if you will, Guy. I don't know, not trading so great. I see the S&P up less than, I don't know, 35 bips right now. Are we going to close red on the day? And what might that mean for the market? So I'll go backwards. Yes, I think we're going to close negative on the day. I don't think that augurs particularly well. That gets us right back to a market that rallies are being sold, which was what we saw early in late in February, early in March. Obviously, the last three or four weeks, the markets just rallied seemingly on air. But I think we're getting back to a sell the rally mentality. And why did the market rally in the first place? I think you hit the nail on the head because that that number, that headline number wasn't as bad. I will tell you, I thought there was probably a 25, 30% chance he had a nine handle on that. Obviously, it didn't happen. And the fact that now some people are coming out like Lael Brainerd and saying, you know what, it wasn't as bad as I expected. Again, one of the most dovish people turned hawkish when she makes comments like that. I think the market takes note. So I think that's what's happening. By the way, in terms of the Fed being able to then get more dovish, if in fact there is a slowdown, you go. You look at the CME Fed Tracker tool, and you go out yeah. and let, you know the second half of next year, and the market's actually looking for rate cuts 
Yeah. So we'll see, Dan. That's what well, that's what the market's looking at right now. Yeah, I see that too. Let's look at this head and shoulders top. We didn't even have to draw the little squiggly lines to show this S&P 500. And listen, I, you know, we're not so definitive. When we say it's a top, it's a formation that seems pretty evident to the eye here. You see that range between, what, 4,100 or so and 4,200. And we had that late February, that day where we had that huge intraday reversal guy where we, you know, we were trading down, I think, 4,100 closed. We had a huge spike bottom. We had a retest in March and never made a new intraday low here. But that looks like a pretty decent support range. It seems like if things remain uncertain, that should be a level where things go to. Obviously, Q1 earnings start with banks in the next day or so. And I think corporate earnings are really going to be an important part of where these S&P futures go to. I know that you say we might see 37.50, right, mm-hmm. at some point. But the likelihood of a retest to that 4,200 or 4,150 seems pretty high right now, given the level of uncertainty that we have on the drivers of stocks. Unless there was some resolution to the situation in Ukraine, which I don't think is happening anytime soon, guys. When you look at what the debate is now about war crimes being done there, this is not a situation where sanctions are coming off soon and people or countries are doing business with Russia again anytime soon. So to your point, which is one of the reasons why some of these inflationary pressures stick around. Well, the inflationary pressures are not going away anytime soon. To your point, you don't just flip a switch. You know, as much as you would like this to be the case, we just don't declare the war is over. Everybody goes back to their respective corners. Things get rebuilt. Lives get remade. And all of a sudden, all the sanctions magically go away. It just doesn't happen that way. So I think, again, these inflation pressures that have been sort of elevated by what happened in Russia and Ukraine, they're not going to go away anytime soon. In terms of this chart, What's interesting is you mentioned mean reversion, and I'm with you on mean reversion, but let's take it one step further. Let's take a look at mean reversion in the form of S&P 500 price to earnings multiple. I mean, historically, the S&P 500 trades about a 16 and a half times ish, and we're still not close to that. So if we do, in fact, mean revert, maybe that's what we mean revert as well. By the way, one of the numbers that goes into PE are earnings, and I don't think yeah. earnings would be nearly as robust as people hope for them to be. And we'll get, obviously, this week in banks, but we'll get into this in earnest over the next couple of weeks. So earnings better be gangbusters for this market to hold on. I just don't think they're going to be. And as rates go higher, I think multiples contract. I think that's just the way the market works. Yeah, well, one one sector you just have to keep an eye on are the semiconductors. And and we had earnings from Micron a couple of weeks ago that looked good. The guidance looked good. And the stock was trading, I think, $87 in the aftermarket. And it's trading as low as 72 you know, yesterday. And that is just a huge move. And in NVIDIA and some of these other high valuation names, AMD, they're starting to hear some negative sentiment as it relates to the analyst community. And so that will clearly weigh on valuations. That being said, Prior to earnings, you get all this out of the way, and then expectations are really low. Looking at the NASDAQ guy, and you and I have mentioned this on many occasions, the relative underperformance of the S&P 500 is notable. Yesterday, there was a negative note out on Microsoft. The stock was down 4%. That's the second largest stock in the market. And all of the MAGA names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, were down at least 25 half, 3% or so. The NASDAQ's one, it just feels like it's going to make a beeline. The NASDAQ 100, look at the futures here, back towards that kind of 13,000. That was the low in March or so. And it really does have to be, I think if we are going to go back and make new lows, the NASDAQ would have to lead the way. I agree with that. And you know, you mentioned Amazon. We have a question that I'm going to address in a second, but 
know, Amazon announced that stock buyback, which was insignificant in terms of, you know, the amount of money compared to its market cap. But they also announced the split. And I think the stock went from about twenty eight fifty or so. And we thought it would trade back to thirty three fifty, which had been sort of the middle of the range for a long time. And that's exactly what happened. Now that's selling off. You obviously saw it to your point, Microsoft yesterday. Apple, bit of a tricky day yesterday in terms of how much it got sold off. So this, the NDX, the NQ, I think this goes lower. And the question we have, Dan, and I think you have a view on this. I know I do. Would you rather Walmart or Amazon for the long-term holders? And you know, I think Walmart has some room to the upside here. Recently made an all-time high. Amazon, quite frankly, has been sort of dead money, almost going on two years. So if I had to play the game, it would be Walmart over Amazon. Well, I guess define long term. You know, I mean, Walmart just broke out. It's been in this. It's all, Walmart guy has also been dead money, if you think about it. True. It's obviously got plenty of valuation support. But it's been going sideways for the better part of the last couple of years after its initial ramp off the lows in the pandemic. I guess longer term, I'd rather be focused on Amazon. I just think that the way that they plow back in their profits, I think one of the big issues has been the unprofitability of, let's say, that North American retail operation. Well, I think that they are really focused on making that a very profitable thing. Andy Jazzy, the new CEO of Amazon, will be on with Andrew Ross Sorkin on Squawk and Friends Thursday morning on CNBC. So that'll be actually really interesting. And to your point, he's already trying to make put his footprint on this company, right? With that buyback, we saw it with Satya Nadella when he took over at Microsoft. We saw it with Tim Cook at AOL. We saw or at AOL, Apple, and we saw Sundar at Google. I, I suspect that longer term, Amazon is the place to be. Hey, guy, I got to go back to yesterday. Day on market call, Carter Braxton Worth was on. He showed us the log chart of the 40 year of the 10 year yield. And he said, A lot of people, if you're looking at the arithmetic, you'd say, Oh, you've already seen a breakout. That means that this kind of bond bull market is over, right, with rates going higher. But on a log basis, he's saying this is just as important here. And I think this is really interesting. So we did kind of catch some resistance there. I think that, you know, it's important to keep an eye on this. Even if the arithmetic were to fail and break down, I mean, that would be, you know, kind of confirming this chart. Thoughts here a day later. He thought maybe we get to 281 in the 10-year. I'm just curious what you're thinking is a day later on this. We got extraordinarily close. And obviously, the longer the chart, the more important it is. And as Brendan just pointed out, by the way, Brendan Bresney, one of our crack producers, if you go back to the beginning of this chart, that's when I started my career. So I'm very <laughs> familiar with what's going on here. But to the penny, he's exactly right. And you know, Mel asked a question last night in terms of yields stopping out here and going lower. What does that mean for the broader market? And I thought that if 10-year yields were to go lower from here, it would be on the back of a market sell-off as market participants would go run into the bond market as a flight to quality. And maybe we're starting to see that. Who knows? I will tell you that this chart is extraordinarily important. The flip side of that coin, and typically, no matter what happens, everything's bullish for equities. Well, in this case, I think regardless of what happens, it's bearish for equities. Because I think, to my earlier point, if yields go lower... It's because the market is getting kiboshed and there's a flight to quality. And if yields go higher, that's going to be a tremendous headwind for equity. So here we are. You pick your poison, but we're right yeah. at that level, Dan. Nate. I think in the short term, 10-year yields might have topped out. And I do think you're going to start to see another flattening of the yield curve. And it's going to take place with 10-year yields going lower, maybe back down to about 245, 250, and two-year yields staying stubborn. By the way, if you look out fives, tens, thirties, the yield curve is basically flat right now, Dan, and I think we have you back. 
Yeah, so the one thing I'd say about this three-year chart guy that I find really interesting is that go back to Q1 of 2019, and you know what happened? That was the Fed's dovish pivot, right? And so it's interesting that if we were to have topped out right there in the 10-year yield, it kind of is basically anticipating, in my opinion, that to your point, in the back half of this year, we might be going to a more dovish stance or so. So that's one of the reasons why we want to keep an eye on this. All right, this was one. And again, why might they go to be a bit more dovish if we were to see slower growth in the back half of the year. And we were talking about what the markets are pricing in for a recession. Look at this headline guy, OPEC cuts forecasts for global growth, oil demand, citing Ukraine war. Obviously, the lockdowns in China aren't great. We talked about crude yesterday, broke that uptrend that had been in place since the beginning of December here. Does X mark the spot? It's at a pretty interesting level, guy. That's interesting. You know, that, that's a fascinating headline. And obviously, you look at this and your initial reaction is that's really bearish for crude oil. And I would understand that. Maybe it is. I look at that and say, you know what? It's actually pretty bullish for crude oil. Why? Because it gives them air cover. Who's them? OPEC. They don't have to add to reserves. They don't have to pump more oil, put more into the system. They can say, you know what? Demand is going to wane. We're, gonna, we're happy doing exactly what we're doing. So in my opinion, it's actually bullish for the commodity. And to a certain extent, you're seeing that today. X does mark the spot, though, and you don't have to decide. Let the market decide for you. So what does that mean? In my opinion, a close above sort of 105 in WTI, I think we're off to the races. And I think you would submit a close below sort of 93 and a half, 94. We're probably going to retest those lows we saw previous high in October, that 80, 82 level. Maybe we'll test that again. Yeah, what's your take? Oil equities have acted pretty well. If you plot the XLE, the ETF that tracks oil equities, and we know that Exxon, Chevron, and Schlumberger make up, what, 50% or so, they've kind of held in there. And, mm-hmm. and so what is that telling you about, is crude going to be a thing that people who trade crude and crude futures, fine, it's going to continue to be volatile, use your stops. That's one of the reasons why it makes sense to, to express these views in the futures market. But the equities have a, really an underlying bid to them. If crude stayed here, just went sideways now for the next month and a half, two months, either side of $100 until, let's call it mid-June or so, I think equities are going to rally. Crude equities, energy equities are going to rally. Why? Because they're better companies than they were the last time crude oil was here. They run better. They're more efficient. They're more profitable. Margins are much better. And at valuations that are a lot cheaper than they were when crude was at these levels last time. And that's been something we've been saying since last summer and it's starting to play out now. So the OIH back either side of 300, that absolutely feels poised to take out those recent highs we saw of about 318 or so. All right, fair enough. All right, let's move on to, to the gold futures market here, Guy. This is near and dear to your heart. You know, we had that kind of breakout move. It was kind of parabolic in March. It's come back in, in a way, and it was doing in March what you would have expected it to do with inflation readings and expectations at 40-year highs. You had a new all-time high. It pulled back a little bit, but it's kind of picking its head up a little bit over the last couple of days. Is that just kind of hedging into the CPI print or, you know, not hedging, but you know what I'm no, saying? No, I understand. I'm, People yeah. getting ahead of it. I totally get Look, obviously the level we topped at at a few weeks ago or a month or so ago was level we last saw in August 2020, as Carter would say, to the penny double top. And that's unfortunate because it really put the kibosh on gold at exactly the wrong time. But the fact that we held those levels, the fact that we held those prior highs back in May, June of 2021, I believe it was, Dan, I think that augurs particularly well. So 
In terms of risk reward, I think the downside, you know, I think your upside is we take out those levels. I'm going to remain a gold bull. And as it's interesting, you know, as Bitcoin, which we're going to talk about in a second, has been pretty volatile over the last week or so. Gold's starting to catch a bid. So I'm not sure if there's any yeah. correlation. I want to sort of wait for a couple of weeks to see. But it's interesting to note that as Bitcoin has sort of gotten bludgeoned over the last week, three or four trading days at least, Gold's caught a bid. Yeah, what about silver guy? I mean, that's one you talk about a trading range for the better part of maybe nearly, you know, since the start of 2021, it's literally been in this range between like 20 on the downside, 26 on the upside, or about $23 right there. You can do that math. It is literally range bound. Is there a bull case for silver that kind of matches what's going on with gold? Yeah, a lot of people that sort of share my thesis about gold are actually more bullish than silver. And I think the worst thing that happened to silver was it got caught up in that Wall Street Bets Reddit crowd yeah. phenomenon back sort of April, May of 2020 when everybody was going after heavily shorted security stocks and subsequently commodities. And I think there were a lot of people out there who said, hey, we could probably do this to silver. And it worked for about a week. And then obviously silver came crashing back. So that was probably the best and worst thing that happened subsequently. But I think there is an underlying bid to silver to your point and has not been able to get out of its own way. But I do think if gold is able to take out those recent highs, which I do think it will, silver should be a $30 commodity at least. Speaking of underlying bids, there seems to be a bid for micro Bitcoin futures that are listed. I think they were listed about a year ago on the CME because the volumes keep going up steadily. Okay, so what I say, a bid for the use of this instrument for a whole host of reasons. And we talked about it with some folks from the CME on Market Call. Our friend Brian Kelly has been on with it. And it's been a really useful tool, especially as new entrants come into the, the crypto market. One of the beauties, I think, of using futures and, and the micros in particular is the ability to really manage risk and, and set stops and, and be methodical about it. So it doesn't surprise me, Guy, that you're seeing greater adoption of the products like this as there's greater interest in the underlying product. The one thing I'd say is that there's not an underlying bid for right now is actually Bitcoin. When you look at that move that we had, and again, as inflation expectations seem to be getting white hot over the last month or so, you saw this really sharp move in Bitcoin and break out above 40,000. It was between 35 and 45 for two months or so, but it wasn't able to hold and it broke that recent uptrend. And you know, I'll tell you, man, and I know this sounds too easy to be true, but there was a big Bitcoin conference in Miami last week. Everybody who's anybody's down there and they're talking about, you know, this newfound financial utopia we're going to have with the advent of cryptocurrencies. I guess that it was invented 13 years ago. But when we people leave, they leave those conferences like a weekend in Vegas at a bachelor party, and they're kind of taking stock of what the you know what they spent and what happened, and then it sells off. And I'm just curious your take, maybe on a technical level, maybe that February low near thirty five thousand looks like a beeline it's going to make for. I'll say this, and I was I actually wanted to bring this up on Fast Money last night. I didn't have the opportunity, but it's not coincidental, in my opinion, that you saw the rally in Bitcoin when it appeared as though maybe the Fed wasn't going to be as hawkish as they were. And I think people got all geeked up when it maybe they thought, given what was going on, the sell-off in crude oil, obviously Russia, Ukraine, maybe that gave the Fed air cover not to be as hawkish as the market anticipated. Subsequently, all we've heard is hawkish talk. And that sort of correlated with the top in the price of Bitcoin recently and this subsequent sell-off. So I would submit, and I'm not saying I'm right, but just watching it, 
Yeah. The more hawkish the Fed or the more hawkish things we hear from them in terms of rate hikes and their ability to fight inflation and their want to fight inflation, I think the more negative, the more bearish it is for Bitcoin. And we'll see if that continues to play out. I will say this, Dan, if your thesis is right, if you think this is just jawboning, at some point the Fed is going to go back to their dovish stance, I think that's going to be ultimately the most bullish thing potentially for Bitcoin and it could probably take us through those all-time highs of 68,000. Well, listen, I mean, that is the main pillar of the bull case. Michael Saylor, who we, I think just a couple of weeks ago, was on market call with us, who is the biggest Bitcoin bull out there. What does he own? 129,000 Bitcoins. He keeps buying them on every dip. I mean, that is the reason why he does it, the devaluation of the currency. And that's obviously what all that dovish talk does. The other thing that you hear about is that there's maybe tax loss selling or people selling to pay taxes on a lot of crypto. So maybe you see that catch a bid. I suspect with a downtrend that we're in right now over the last couple of weeks, a lot of people would love to see it test 35,000, maybe get to that range of 35 to 30, and then they load the boat. The other one is obviously ETH, Ethereum. Look at this thing, what's going on right here. You know, it's shown good relative strength, I think, to Bitcoin of late here. And I just like the setup for this one. If you were to get this in that little pocket between 2500 and 2000 to me, with this kind of expected move from proof of work to proof of stake in the back half of this year, it will be deflationary, meaning less ETH. That one to me is the most interesting take. I love that proof of stake, proof of life, proof of this, proof of that. Well, you know what? I'm going to be true to the proofs that we set forth at the beginning of the show when we said 30 minutes to the penny, as they say. And we're 5,000, Dan, because that's what we do. That was, in fact, today's market call. <laughs> April, what is today? The 11th, 12th? It's a J well, is April. So I don't know. It's incredible. The months go by like this. I want to thank our sponsors, CME Group, where risk does meet opportunity. And, of course, Open Exchange. Tune in tomorrow, 1 p.m., Same time, different shirt, same place later. See ya.